So I hope you have a Bible, a hard copy, or a digital copy of a Bible. If you have a smartphone, you can get a copy of God's Word on your smartphone. It's an incredible day in which we live. The only problem is, if you've got eyes like mine, you can't read it on your smartphone. It's there, but you can't see what it says. But I want you to turn to two passages of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 28, and then Psalm 144. Deuteronomy 28, fifth book of the Bible, toward the front of your Bible, and then Psalm 144, right there in the middle of your Bible, toward the end of the book of Psalm. Now, as you're looking that up, I want to make a plug, and this is going to sound self-serving, but really, it isn't. I want to encourage you to do one of two things, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to want to encourage you to either be my friend on Facebook. Don't have a lot of friends. Or follow me on Twitter. Here's why. Because at least five days a week, I post things from my devotional reading, thoughts, from verses in the Bible that God has given me as I've been as I read through the Bible each year. And so it would be a good way for you to just get some very quick um, devotional thoughts that I think are probably going to be practical for your life. And so if you're on Facebook or or you're on Twitter, then let me encourage you to do that. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe God wants to bless your life? And I want you to be honest with me. Do you really believe that God wants to bless your life? You see, I believe that a lot of Christians make one of two mistakes today when it comes to the blessings of God. The first group equates the blessings of God with the health and wealth gospel that that we see on, on much of Christian TV today. And this group says that if we follow a certain formula... If we pray a certain prayer, then bam, money will flow from heaven and we'll never have to worry about being sick again, at least not until we die. And if we do get sick or if we do lack money, the problem is there is something wrong in our relationship between us and God. And so that's the first view that some people have when it comes to the blessings of God. Now, the next group believes that the blessings of God are simply spiritual. They're otherworldly. And they have nothing to do with the material or the physical world. What they would say is this. In this world, if you follow the Lord, you will do without. You will suffer. You will never have the material things of this world and you shouldn't even want the material things of this world because when you get to heaven, heaven is going to be blessing enough. And I want you to know this morning that I believe both of those teachings are wrong. The health and wealth gospel takes some biblical teachings and tries to make a doctrine out of a few biblical teachings that are taken out of context, to be quite honest with you. The other group have taken the biblical teaching of suffering and they have applied it to every single area of our life. I want you to know this morning that I believe with all my heart that God wants to bless us more than we can ever imagine and more than we could possibly ever even 
hope for. Bruce Wilkinson, in, in his book that I'm sure all of us have heard about, The Prayer of Jabez, tells a story about a man who dies and, and he's going, he goes to heaven. And, and as St. Peter is taking him around heaven, he notices that there is a large warehouse there with only one door and, and there are no windows in the warehouse. And he asked St. Peter what is in there and he said, well, there are some things in there that God has stored that, that, um, that God keeps in there. And the man says, well, can I go in? And St. Peter said, well, I guess you can. And so St. Peter opens the door, and the man walks into the warehouse, and he notices that in the warehouse is box after box of gifts, huge gifts, wrapped in white, and they have a bow around them. And he notices that every box has a name on it. And as he begins to think and he begins to ponder, he wonders if perhaps there is a box with his name on it. And so he says, is there a box with my name on it? He asked Peter that. And Peter says, well, yes, there is. And before Peter could say anything else, the man takes off and begins to look for his box. And when he opens up the box, his heart sinks and he becomes distraught. Because inside the box are all of these blessings that God wanted to give him if he would have only asked. You see, I believe with all my heart, most of us here today, when we get to heaven, we are going to realize that God wanted to bless us much more than we could ever imagine. And so this morning, as we begin a series that have entitled Blessed, I want to set the case for the biblical truth that God wants to bless you more than you could imagine. And I want to begin by giving you two passages of Scripture. The first one is Deuteronomy 28. And I want us to read verses 1 through 12. Now, I really do hope that you have your Bible with you because as we go through this, I want you to underline or circle every single time that the word bless, blessed, or blessing is found in this passage. Now, listen to what it says. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in, and you will be blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by my name, the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, and the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in its season, and to bless 
all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. Now, in those 12 verses, we find the word bless, blessed, or blessing 10 times. Now, that is absolutely amazing. God says, I will bless you when you're in the city. I will bless you when you're in the country. I will bless you when you're coming in. I will bless you when you're going out. I will bless your crops in the field. I will bless all of your livestock and animals. I will bless what is already in your barns. I will bless everything you put your hand to. I will bless all the works of your hand. Now let me ask you a question. Does it sound like God wants to bless them? I mean, there's no way. Hear me, there is absolutely no way that you can read that passage without coming to the realization that God is giving a promise to his people. I want to bless you. Now understand, this promise is given specifically to the nation of Israel as they are entering into the promised land. But the point is, I want you to see that God wanted to bless them. So keep that in mind. Here is God's people, a people that God has a relationship with, and he says, I want to bless your socks off. I want to bless everything about you, everything your hand touches, I want to bless. When you're in the city, when you're in the country, when you're coming, when you're going, and everything in between, I want to bless you. Now, you can say that God doesn't want to bless his people, but I can tell you this. God wanted to bless Israel. Now, I want you to turn to Psalm 144. And in Psalm 144, I want us to read this entire passage. It's it's 12 verses, I believe. But to understand the final several verses, we need to read the entire passage. And, And so listen to what it says. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for wars, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. Who subdues peoples under me. Oh Lord, what is man that you care for him? The son of man that you think of him. Man is like a breath. His his days are like a fleeting shadow. But but your heavens, oh Lord, come down. Or part your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Send forth lightning and scatter the enemy. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters, from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. I will sing a new song to you, O God. On the ten-string lyre, I will make music to you, to the one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his servant David from the deadly sword. Deliver me and rescue me from the hands of foreigners whose mouth are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. And then, listen to what he says. This is getting to the, the crux of it. He says, then, our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants. Our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in their streets. Blessed are the people of whom this is true. Blessed are the people 
whose God is the Lord. Now notice this passage. It begins with praise. David praises God. He says that God is my rock. He is my loving God. He is my fortress. He is my shield. He is my deliverer. And then he realizes that he is nothing apart from God's intervention, that apart from God moving sovereignly in his life, he has no hope and he has no help. And then he ends this passage by telling us what it looks like when we live in relationship with that loving God. And he tells us that that our sons will be like well-nurtured plants. Our daughters will be like pillars carved uh, and adorned for a palace. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase. And he goes on and on and on. And then he says, and don't miss this, the people who are blessed, this is true of. And then he says, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Now, when you say what David said, is this true? I mean, if if a person's sons and daughters are what David describes, if a person's barns are overflowing and their, their crops are always multiplying, if their enemy never conquers them, wouldn't you say that that person is a blessed person? Wouldn't you agree with that? And then he says this about that person. He says, blessed are those whose God is the Lord. In other words... What he is saying is this, the person that I have described and the situation that I have described, the blessings that I have described are for any and every person who belongs to the Lord. Now, now understand, in the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words for blessing. There are two. The first word is esher. And that word literally means a happiness. It refers to happiness. A happiness that that isn't dependent on what happens to us. A happiness that isn't dependent on on how things are going. It's not just an emotion. It's an inward happiness, an inward joy that comes from God that, that transcends our situation and our circumstances. As God says, I want you to be blessed. I want to give you a a happiness and an inward joy that you can have bubbling up inside of you, regardless of what's happening in the world around you. Now, that's the word that is used in Psalm 84, verse 4. Listen to what it says. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. In other words, what David is saying there is this. The person who is regularly praising God. The person who makes it a habit of entering into worship and hearing the word of God taught. That person is going to be blessed because they are going to understand that the joy and the happiness that this world brings is fleeting. But when we have a relationship with God, it produces a joy that is everlasting. Hear my heart. I want you to hear me. I am convinced, I'm convinced that you can come to church every single Sunday and sit there and live in depression. I'm convinced you can. But if you do, you're working hard at it. You're working at it. Because I believe with all my heart, if you begin to mouth the words of praise to God, 
and you begin to open up your word and soak in the teachings of God's word, God will do a transforming work in your life and all of a sudden that scowl will turn to a smile and you'll realize life's pretty good. It's not as bad as they say in the midst of all of the trouble. In the midst of all the trials, God is on his throne and I am blessed. Amen? That's the word Esher there. But then there's a second word in the Old Testament that is translated blessing. That word refers to divine favor. It is the Hebrew word Barak. Divine favor. It is God's hand of favor intervening in my life to provide what I need. God's hand of favor intervening in my life to provide what I need. Robert Morris in his book, The Blessed Life, says blessed means having supernatural power working for you. He goes on to say a blessed man may or may not be wealthy by the world's standards, But he enjoys a quality of life that most billionaires would envy. Did you hear that? A blessed man may or may not be wealthy by the world's standards. But in spite of whether he is wealthy by the world's standards or not, he is enjoying a standard of living that will make billionaires envy of what he has. Bruce Wilkinson, the author of the prayer of Jabez, defined it this way. He said to bless is to impart supernatural favor. Then he says, when we ask for God's blessings, we are not asking for more of what we could get ourselves. In other words, we're not asking God to do what we could do if we just worked harder. It's not that. He says we're crying out for the wonderful unlimited goodness that only God has the power to know about or give us. And so when we experience the blessings of God, it's not that God is intervening to do what you're not willing to do. Oh, God, I want a better job while you sit at home and don't go look. That's not the blessings of God. The blessings of God is when God intervenes and gives his goodness to us in ways that we could never even imagine and we could never ever provide apart from God supernaturally intervening in our life. Now don't miss this. God wants to impart his supernatural favor upon your life. He wants you to succeed more than you want to succeed. I am convinced of that. That word Barak is the word used in Deuteronomy 28. That word Barak is the word used in Psalm 144. It is the word used in most of the scriptures I'm going to share with you in just a minute. God says, I want to rain down my supernatural favor upon you. And you can sit back and you can humbly, and I would dare say false humility... You could say, oh, I don't want God to do that for me. But I'm here to tell you, I want God's supernatural favor upon my life because I know that I will never be all that God wants me to be. I know that I will never do all that God wants me to do apart from God supernaturally moving in my life, moving in me and moving through me. And listen to what God said 
when he called Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, Barak. I will make your name great, and I will cause you to be a blessing, Barak. I will bless those who bless you, Barak, Barak. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed, Barak, through you. God says, my power is going to work in you, and my power is going to work for you, and then my power is going to work through you, So in the end, the entire world will be blessed through you. Now, I'm not going to elaborate on this right now, but understand, God's blessings are never given to us just for our benefit. I want you to hear me. Does does God tell you that he doesn't want you to have good things? No, he doesn't tell you that. There's nothing wrong with living in a nice home. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with with enjoying nice vacations and all of those things. And and don't let anyone ever deceive you into believing that those things are sinful or or this worldly. There's, There's nothing wrong with those things. But understand, God doesn't bless you primarily so that you can live in a nicer house, drive a nicer car, take nicer vacations. God blesses you primarily so that through the blessings that he pours out on your life, he can use them to bless other people. That's why. Now, now understand, there are people out there that just despise God, that seem to have God's blessings poured out on them. And the Bible says that God rains down on the just and the unjust, and, and sometimes God just chooses to work in ways that we don't understand. And sometimes the enemy can pour out his demonic blessing on people. But I want you to know that when God blesses us, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to other people. And then Jacob's or Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Do you remember the passage where Jacob is is wrestling with God before he meets Esau? And, and, and God touches his hip and, and causes him to walk with a limp from then on out. And, and Jacob won't turn loose of, it says, the man. But we know he's wrestling with the Lord. And do you remember what Jacob says? Jacob says this, I will not let you go unless you bless me, Barak. I'm not going to turn loose of you until you bless me. And the Bible says that God blessed him. Now, now here's what I believe. Abraham was 175 years old when he died. Isaac, Jacob's father, was 40 years old when he got married. So there's a good chance that, that Jacob saw granddad Abraham. And he saw how God's supernatural favor was imposed on Abraham in everything that he did. And Jacob said, God, I want that. I want to be blessed like you blessed my grandfather. And the crazy thing is, God granted Jacob's request. God blessed Jacob. And then that obscure passage, it was very obscure until that book, The Prayer of Jabez, that sold millions of copies, but... But First Chronicles 4 says, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me, Barak, and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. 
Now, in the NIV, it says, Lord, that you will bless me. In the King James, it says, oh, Lord, that you will bless me indeed. Now, that word indeed isn't in the Hebrew. But the word barak does have a slight change to the end of the word. And that slight change to the end of the word changes the definition of the word so that it means, oh, God, bless me immensely. Bless me abundantly. And so what Jabez is praying is, Oh God, I not only want your supernatural favor upon me, but I want your supernatural favor poured out on me to the point that I am almost drowning in your blessings. That's what he's asking for, and God grants his request. Now here's the catch. Living under the blessings of God is a choice. Did you hear me? Living under the blessings of God is a choice. Deuteronomy 11 verse 26. When the people of Israel are getting ready to enter in the promised land. It says this. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. There are some of you who are right now saying by your actions... I would rather live under a curse than live under a blessing. <laughs> you are. Now, now, others of you are saying, who in their right mind would rather live under a curse than live under a blessing? Well, if you're not willing to do what God says to do in his word, then by your choice, you have chosen to live under a curse rather than to live under the blessings of God. So the question I want to answer this morning is this. How do I put myself in a position where I can be blessed by God? I mean, as we begin this series, it's all about God's Barak, supernatural favor upon our lives. Where does it all begin? What's the foundation? What, what is it that I build upon so that I am living a life that is blessable. Because hear me, God does reign on the just and the unjust. And there are those who don't deserve blessings at all and aren't following anything that God says that God just blesses. He reigns down on the just and the unjust. But for the most part, even though blessings are never deserved, there are some stipulations involved. In receiving those blessings. Just like in Deuteronomy 28. When it says if you will obey me. Then I will do this. And so what's the foundational place to begin? Well, well there are three things I think that work together here. Because God blesses those he's in relationship with. And let me say it this way. Uh, let, let me just uh, I do it this way. If you have a need, and you come to me and say, Rocky, I need $5,000. I'm going to go, wow. I'm sorry. I'm going to pray for you. I, I, I can recommend some bankers. may give you a loan. Have you talked to your parents? 
Because whether I know you a little or I know you a lot, I'm not giving you $5,000. So don't ask me. You can say you're heartless. Well, I may be. I'm just telling you, I'm not going to give you $5,000. But, and John, you be very careful what I'm about to say. If my son, my daughter, my children come to me and say, Dad, I'm in a bind. I need $5,000. Can I just tell you, I'm going to do everything I can to get them $5,000. And you say you're enabling them. No, I love them. (laughs) You can call it what you want to, but understand, if dad has the ability to meet the need that they've got, dad is going to intervene and help meet that need. You know why? Because they're my kids. I love them. I'm in relationship with them. And it's not just a casual relationship. They're family. And so what's the point? God wants to bless his family. God wants to bless those he's in relationship with. And occasionally, occasionally, God's blessings rain down on the just and the unjust. And that happens. But understand, when it is supernatural favor... It's God raining it down on his family. And so what does that take? Well, if you look through the Old Testament, there are three things that we're told. The first thing I have to do if I want that relationship is I must cry out to God for forgiveness. Notice what it says in Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him and and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, I'm not going to read the verse again, but in Proverbs or in Romans 4, 7, and 8, Paul quotes the same verse. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. If you want to live a blessed life, the first step is to experience God's forgiveness. But here's the key. Before I can ever experience God's forgiveness... I have to know that I need forgiveness. Billy Graham once said this. He said that you don't need to tell people they're sinners. They know it. Well, Billy Graham may be right. But I got to tell you, it seems like more and more people today don't have a clue they're sinners. It seems like today there are more and more people that believe that they're intrinsically good when the Bible says that we're bad to the bone. And before I can ever experience blessings that comes from being forgiven, I've got to realize I need forgiveness. Man is not intrinsically good. In Genesis 6 verse 12 in the message translation, it said this, Life is corrupt to the core. You know what our core is? The core of an apple is what? The center of the apple. And what God is saying is you're corrupt to the very center, the very core, the very heart of your being. In Genesis 6, he goes on to say everything man thought and even imagined was evil. And Paul was describing the extent of our wickedness he said it this way in Romans 3 he said no one is good no one in all the world is innocent no one has ever really followed God's path or or even really wanted to 
Everyone is turned away. Everyone has gone wrong. No one anywhere has kept on doing what is right, not even one. Their talk is foul and filthy like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are loaded with lies. Everything they say has in it the sting and poison of deadly snakes. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They are quick to kill, hating anyone who disagrees with them. Wherever they go, they leave misery and trouble behind. And listen to what it says. They have never known what it is to feel secure and enjoy God's blessings. They care nothing about God nor what he thinks about them. Wow. The truth is, each and every one of us here has sinned against Almighty God. We've broken his laws. We've disobeyed his commands. We've rejected his will. We've spurned his love. We've all sinned. We've, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the consequences of our sin, our rebellion against God, is death, eternal separation from our creator in a place called hell. And because of our sin, we all need forgiveness. That word forgiveness in Psalm 32 literally means to lift a burden off someone and carry it away. It's like we've got this weight that we're carrying that is weighing us down and we're about to buckle under the pressure of the weight and someone stronger than us comes, takes the weight off of us and takes it off. They don't just carry it for us for a while. They take it off of us and take it away. That's what the word forgiven means. It means that God has taken the weight, the guilt of sin off of us. And then it goes on and it says, and he covers it up. Never to be dug up again. And then it says, he will not count your iniquities against you. That word count is an encounting term, which means you never have to worry about that being debited against your account anymore. God said, I'm going to take the weight of your sin away. I'm going to bury it and cover it up so that it never comes back up again. And you never have to worry about anyone trying to get paid For the debt of sin. Because it is gone. Now there's two things that you need to understand about forgiveness. It's found in verse 5 of Psalm 32. It says, then I acknowledge my sin. This is David. He said, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Two words there that are important. Acknowledge. That means I admitted it. Didn't try to cover it up. Didn't try to hide it anymore. I have sinned. It's kind of like, and if this is if, if this is offensive, I don't intend to it for it to be. But it, it's kind of like the couple who is living together, and 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 they they try to justify it. Well, you, you don't know. We we can't make ends meet if we're not living together. And I'm thinking, oh yes, you can. Are you saying that obedience to God is going to give you less of a blessing than disobedience to his word? We try to justify it. Acknowledging is admitting that what we're doing is sin. And then confessing it, that's not acknowledging and admitting. That's seeing our sin the way God sees our sin. We we no longer think it's a little thing. We realize it's a horrible thing. And we become broken over it. The Bible says when we acknowledge and confess our sin, that is when he forgives us of our guilt. And so I cry out to God for forgiveness. That's where the blessing begins. 
Second, I place my trust in him. Now look at three verses. Psalm 84, verse 12. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Proverbs 16, verse 20. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. And then Jeremiah 17, 7. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Now those first two verses, the word is esher. When we trust in the Lord, it gives us a happiness that is independent of our circumstances. But, but that wor- verb word in Jeremiah 17 is the word barak. So God says, not only am I going to give you this inward happiness when you trust me, when you trust me, I'm going to bestow my supernatural favor upon you. Now that word trust, it literally means to lie down on or stretch out on. It's the word that would be used when a person would would go to their bed at night. And their beds were not like our beds. They didn't have those sealy posturpedic mattresses. But when they would lay down on their bed at night, they would trust that bed to hold them up. Have you ever went to lay down on a bed and when you did, you you felt it and it was kind of wobbly and you're going, I'm not sure about this. I wonder who put this together. And as you get down on the bed, you do it kind of tentatively. I mean, I've done that before. I mean, where you, you get on the bed and you first of all sit on it and kind of keep your feet there too. So if it falls in, you're going to kind of catch yourself. And then, and then kind of very carefully, very carefully, you begin to lay down on it. But you got one foot still on the floor. So just in case something happens, you know. You're not going to completely fall. Well, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about jumping on that mattress and trusting it completely. Throwing your entire weight upon it. That's what God's telling us to do. He's telling us that we need to throw everything onto him and trust him completely. To to forgive us and to save us. Now, now understand, we trust him to save us. That's where it begins. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's trust. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not through works, so that none of us could ever boast about it. And, and so we trust him for our salvation. But, but understand, God doesn't just want us to trust him to save us. God wants us to trust him with our life. Like it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. You're you're to trust him with what? All your ways. Not just your salvation, not just the spiritual aspect. You trust him with your relationships. You trust him with your finances. You trust him with your health. You trust him with the big, you trust him with the small, you trust him with with everything. You just throw yourself upon him and go, God, I'm yours. And when we do that, hear me, when we get to that point where we trust him with everything, knowing that he is a good God and he is a gracious God and he is a great God, then we are able to live by faith and not by sight because we trust him. Even when we can't see it. And so I cry out to God and ask him to forgive me. God, I'm not worthy on my own. I'm a sinner. I trust him in every area of my life for my salvation through the cross. 
I trust his, his sovereign direction in, in my life as I'm making decisions. But there's a third thing here, and, and that is this. Once I cry out for forgiveness, once I trust God with my life, I live in fear of him. You go, whoa, Rocky, what are you talking about? Well, listen to what it says. Psalm 115, verse 13, he will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. Psalm 128, verse 4, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. Proverbs 28, verse 14, blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. A.W. Tozier said it this way. He said, no one can know the true grace of God until he has first known the fear of God. You can't know God's grace until you know God's fear. You see, in other words, for God's grace to be manifest in our life, first of all, we must realize our need for forgiveness and cry out to God asking for forgiveness. We must trust him with our life for salvation and for every area of our life. But there's a third component here that completes the work of grace. Now, I don't want you to miss this. The work of grace begins as we cry out. The work of grace continues as we take that step of trust. But as we take that step of trust, if it's genuine trust, it will lead to a third thing. And that's where we fear God. We fear God. We recognize that he is the sovereign of all creation and we are the puny creation. We recognize that he is the master. We're the slave. We recognize that he is in control, not us. And the fear of God is when we relinquish and we surrender it all to him because we recognize you are God, not me. You see, many of us who claim to be Christians today, Christ followers, we don't fear God. We know about him up here, but that knowledge hasn't really somehow penetrated our heart to the point where there's that holy fear. We recognize he is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is a just God. And we think because we pray some shallow prayer and we get dunked in a pool of water, our ticket's been stamped. And we're all right. Doesn't matter how we live, what we do, what we say. Hey, I prayed that prayer. Something magical in that prayer. No, there's not. It's nothing magical in a prayer. There's something powerful in a conviction of sin. There's something powerful in a dependent trust. There's something powerful in a surrender to the Almighty God. And when we do that, God's work of grace comes into our life. And listen to what it says in Psalm 85, verse 9. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him. Now let me review. God blesses those who are in relationship with him. That relationship comes when we cry out to God for forgiveness. When we trust him to save us and guide us. And when we submit our lives to him as the Lord of all creation. 
And so let me ask you three questions and we're wrapping this up. Have you asked God to be forgiven? Have you placed your trust in him completely? Is he the Lord of your life? Because understand, the greatest blessing of God is eternal life. And you'll never even experience that until you seek forgiveness, trust Jesus, and surrender your life to him in every area. I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. And I want to be honest. I I want to be blessed because I think it would be a whole lot better to be blessed than to be cursed. (laughs) But I also want to be blessed because I want to be a blessing. Amen? And I think God wants to do that. For each and every one of us. And my prayer, my prayer is that over the next five weeks, we will discover some secrets and some keys that can unlock the blessings of God so that they can be poured out on us and we will experience his supernatural favor. Now I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. And as we come to this time of commitment this morning, I've got to ask again, have you cried out to God for forgiveness? Have you trusted him alone to save you? And are you trusting him to guide you? They go together. Have you surrendered your life to him as the Lord, the master? If you haven't, I want to encourage you this morning to pray this prayer, not as some magical formula, to pray this prayer to enter into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, the God of all creation. Dear God, I come to you this morning acknowledging that I am a sinner. I've lived life my way, independent of you. I don't want to live that way anymore. I confess my sin is wrong and I don't want to do it. Forgive me. I'm trusting you with my life. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to take my sins away. I know that you can direct every step of my life if I will trust you. So right now, I'm trusting you with it all. Salvation and life from this day forth. Right here, right now, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for hearing me, Jesus. Amen.